Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Well, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. There's an old story told uh, by James White, and it's about a lighthouse keeper on a stretch of rocky coastline. Once a month, this, coast, uh, this person who would run the lighthouse, they would receive a supply of new oil to keep the light burning so that ships would not encounter the rocky coastline. One night, though, a woman from a nearby village came by, knocking on the door, asking if she could have some oil to keep her family warm. Another time, a father came, asking to have some oil so that he could be able to keep his lamp burning. And yet another man came by, seeking oil so that he would have enough to be able to continue to run his business. Since all these requests seemed legitimate, The lighthouse keeper tried to please everyone, and he granted each request. Towards the end of the month, though, he noticed that the supply of oil to which he had been given was starting to run dangerously low. Soon it was gone, and one night, there was not enough to keep the lighthouse going. As a result, that evening, several ships ended up crashing along the coastline, and many lives were lost. When the authorities investigated, they asked the man uh, what he had been doing. He talked about giving oil for all these different purposes. The authorities told him, they said, there were no excuses. You had been given one task and one task alone, which was to keep the lighthouse burning. That was your purpose. Now, while this story is Uh, no doubt fictional, it does make a valid point about priorities and needing to stay committed to the purpose to which we have been given. God's given us all a purpose, and if you have ever struggled with kingdom priorities, being able to put God's kingdom ahead of your own, ahead of your own comfort, then today, the book of Haggai, which we're going to read from today, and the prophet Haggai, has a timely word for all of us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Haggai, right close near the end of your Old Testament, probably two very white pages because they're not flipped open very much, two chapters. But this is where we're going to be. We're going to be in the first chapter of Haggai today. And this is where we're going to focus, as it's a call to get priorities straight, to put God's kingdom above all else. Now, the book of Haggai, which you need to know, is it's written to a group of about 50,000 Israelites who are returning to Jerusalem after being in captivity for roughly 70 years. Led by Zerubbabel, who had been uh, chosen to govern over Judah, and Joshua, a priest, the intention is to return to the nation that had been destroyed and to rebuild what was lost. Haggai specifically focuses on the rebuilding of the temple, God's temple. And one needs to understand that in the Old Testament, the temple had very special significance. It represented the heart and soul of how God was present with his people. 
Now, although God is everywhere, and the Israelites would have believed that and known that, the temple was the place on earth where God dwelt. So for the temple to lie in ruins, which is how it was, was to neglect the worship of God. It was to ignore the importance of putting God's kingdom first. And chapter 1 of Haggai is a reminder to the people about this truth. So we'll read together. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. We're going to start in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says, these people say. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is, time, is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planned much but harvested little. You, uh, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth uh, its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. In our day today, very materialistic age, how easy is it for us to lose sight of gospel priorities, and to focus on our personal agendas. Haggai challenges us with a call to seek first the kingdom of God, not your own pleasures and comfort. And this morning, I want to highlight for us three ways that I believe Haggai calls us to bring our focus back to God and his kingdom. The first is this. Drop the excuses. In verse 2, we read about how the Israelites were making excuses for putting off God and not rebuilding the temple. This is what they claim. They say, it is not yet time to rebuild. That's their response. It is not yet time. This is their claim, even though we read that there was time and resources to be rebuilding their own houses. All of this while the temple lied in ruins. Saying the time had not yet come was really the same as saying, I have better things to do. 
Now, this was not how things began. When the Israelites first returned, upon returning, the people quickly began to rebuild the foundation of the temple. The foundation is actually completed within the first two years that the Israelites return. However, this excitement and this energy that began to be extinguished, and it began to be extinguished by the Samaritan people who were living in the land as well. It comes to the point where work stops for 16 years. In the book of Ezra, we read about how the Samaritans persecuted the Israelites, how they lobbied to the government against the work. And there seems to be this connection that's made in the minds of the Jews that, well, because there's persecution and because it's so great, it must not yet be time to rebuild. It must not be God's will. Discouragement begins to set in, and as you can see, so do the excuses. Not only that, people then immerse themselves in their own pursuits. The truth here is this. Excuses and distracted living are the way of discouraged people. When we find ourselves discouraged, we often find ourselves living in a way that is, that is defined by excuses and distracted living. And the same is true in our lives. We often make excuses and we distract ourselves when it comes to putting God first. We say things like, the time has not yet come but maybe we say it differently. I've got family responsibilities. My kids need me now. When things settle down at work, then I can do something. Times are hard. Jobs are scarce. Maybe we need to pray about this some more, and then I can take a step forward. We say we're too busy, too busy for people, too busy for ministry, too busy for personal Bible reading, devotion, too busy to pray. Too busy to listen to the voice of God, and the list goes on and on. The reality is, too many of us are too busy and overscheduled. And this is a kind of life that we so often applaud today. But this is dangerous when it comes to our spiritual lives, because it is often our excuses that keep us from moving forward and tied to a behavior that needs to change. More so, our excuses and distracted living prevent us from being made available to God. To keep us from pursuing and fulfilling what he's called us to be and to do. We will not flourish. You will not flourish when we make excuses And when we become distracted with things other than establishing the kingdom of God. When we stop making excuses, we make ourselves available to God. And when we do this, we will be astounded by what God does with it. Second thing, abandon selfish living. God's response to the excuse that the Israelites give comes in the form of a question in verse 3 and 4. This is what it reads. It says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruin? 
The question asked is almost a bit of satire because God is calling out the Israelites for having this double standard. Paneled houses would have referred to having intricate woodworking as part of the structure of your home. And to have this, you would have had to have wealth. You would have had to have time because it would have been very time-consuming to be able to do this. And so here lies the double standard. You have the Israelites claiming that we don't, it's not yet time to rebuild the temple, but we sure have time to be able to make and create these fancy homes in which we are living. God is calling the people on their selfish living. They've put their own needs ahead of God's kingdom. Their wants and their desires become the guiding light for them, not God's purposes. Sound familiar? Like the Israelites, we too are often consumed by our own agendas, our own houses to worry about, our families, our jobs, our interests. And we often spend our time and our resources on our own things first. And then if after this, there's any time or energy left, well, then here you are, God. Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, writes this. Whenever our right becomes the guiding factor of our lives, it dulls our spiritual insight. Many of us do not continue to grow spiritually because we prefer to choose on the basis of our rights instead of relying on God to make the choice for us. We have to learn to walk according to the standard which has its eyes focused on God. See, the the problem with the Israelites and with us today is that our priorities do not match the truth of Matthew chapter 6, 33, which says to seek first the kingdom of God. Haggai's words are not calling us to ignore our families, to ignore our own needs, Rather, the concern that God has is that we are not putting his kingdom first. And in doing so, we become apathetic towards God himself. The concern that God has for the Israelites isn't so much that they had abandoned the building of the temple. It's more that they had abandoned the person of God. And this is because self-gratification will always lead to apathy for God and his kingdom. When I'm more concerned with uh, serving myself, it leads towards apathy towards God and his kingdom. And so the call to the Israelites and us today is one to move from a place of apathy and to experience the presence of the living God. Putting God first brings a new awareness to his presence and his power in your life. Because here's the reality, our lives are too short to put off what God is calling us to do. Think about that. Our lives are too short to put off what God is calling us to do. Now, even though our text centers on the rebuilding of the temple, once again, God's course of corrective action is not simply for the people to pick up their tools to get busy and to get building. God's priority here in seeing the Israelites 
rebuild the temple is this. It's really to address their hearts. And so the third thing is this. The people are called to consider their ways. Three times God repeats this same phrase. Consider your ways or give thought to your ways. This word consider translated literally means to set your heart or to fix your attention on. God wants his people to begin at a heart level. Why? Because change comes first from the heart and then moves into our behavior. Lasting change does not just come from willpower alone. Rather, lasting change that God desires in our lives comes from a heart that is given over to God. The heart is the core of who we are. Our heart is not just our emotions, but it is the wellspring of life to everything about us, our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors, our beliefs. All through scripture, we see this truth reflected. Two verses that speak to it. Proverbs 4.23, guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What the text comes down to is a God that desires the hearts and the commitment of his people. God doesn't require a temple to dwell. He doesn't need a house that's made by human hands. That's not what this is about. What he desires is that he has their hearts. Haggai's call to the people is to give their full commitment to God. To put God and his kingdom first. In verses 6 through 11, it highlights for us that when the Israelites put their own desires first, it was a failed experiment. Small harvests, little to eat, lost wages, drought that affected the land. All of this because the Israelites ignored God for their own pursuits. And they soon discovered that misplaced priorities leave you empty and frustrated. John Piper is quoted as saying, If you devote yourself to sowing and eating and drinking and clothing yourself and earning wages, but neglect ministry in the body of Christ, you will live in constant frustration. If you spend your time and energy seeking comfort and security from the world and do not spend yourself for the glory of God, every pleasure will leave its sour aftertaste of depression and guilt and frustration. When we aren't pursuing God with the fullness of our hearts, we miss out on God's blessing as we see in those verses. We cannot walk in opposition to God and expect his favor. And this is a way that God is calling for corrective action. As a loving father, it's his desire not to see his children continue to walk further away from him. And he knows that if the people do not put him first, they're not going to flourish. When you put God first, you have a new awareness of his presence and his power in your life. In Haggai's day, making God's plan a priority required the rebuilding of the temple. That's what they were called to. 
We just concluded a series that spoke to this new reality, though, that God's house is no longer a building, but that it is his people. We are the church. We are the temple. The people of God, the house of God, the temple is now the people. With God's presence dwelling among us and in us through his spirit. The church isn't a building, but a gathering of believers. It's God's people and his plan to make disciples of all nations, to love God and to love people through his church. But the principle of Haggai 1 remains the same. It is still a call to saying, what are your priorities? Are you prioritizing the kingdom of God over your own comfort? As we think about our lives today, I want to ask you, how much of your heart does God have? Is your life compartmentalized in such a way that God only receives a piece here and there? Or does he have the whole thing? God's not looking for part of our lives, part of our week, part of our commitment, but he wants it all. He wants us to be all in. He wants his people to prioritize his kingdom above all else. It's not about fitting God in. It's about making him a priority. The Israelites heard this message and responded in verse 12 by reordering their priorities. They chose to put God first and they chose to resume work on the temple. They shifted their priorities from a devotion to self to a devotion to to God. And so the call for us today is to do the same, to shift from a devotion to self to a devotion to God, to put his kingdom first, to give God the fullness of who we are in our hearts. I'm going to invite Mark Debonet to come now. And uh, Mark is from Oasis Church, a partnership that we have together. I'm going to have him introduce himself, and then um, he's going to share with you a little bit about how they are seeing this in their reality and in their context together. Here you are, Mark. So why don't you come over here, and you can introduce yourself and where you're from, and then I just want to ask you a few questions about how you are seeing um, God work out his purposes in Cloverdale, in Quebec, and through Oasis Church. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for, ha- for having me, having us. Uh, a few people have been with you guys this week from Loisis. Uh, well, my name is Marc Debonet. Marc Debonet, I'm the lead pastor at Oasis Church, a sister church in the West Island of Montreal, French-speaking, uh, intercultural, intergenerational, um, and, uh, but we have here with us my wife, Cheryl. Uh, I'll ask her to stand just so that you can know who she is. Uh, we, I don't know if... Um, <laughs> the two, our two missionaries who came for the... Oh, there they are. I had lost track. Je vous ai perdu. Vous répondiez pas à mes textos. Mais en tout cas, they're back. We love them. And, uh, and uh, I... I, I think you took very good care of them, and I think they really um, uh, were able to put their gifts at, uh, to work in the backyard kids' uh, 
ministry this week. Alors, uh, so that's um, uh, Milen Bravo, who is our youth pastor, and with her, one of our youth leaders, uh, Miriam Lapierre. And by the way, we also, yes. We also have uh, Gunnar and Chantal Littlejohn, who are here. They, they used to be members here and came as lay missionaries to Quebec and have been involved in ministries and leadership at Oasis for several years now. So let's give them a hand of applause as well. So can you share with us a little bit about what um, God has called you to specifically as, as a team that you've introduced there in Cloverdale and in Quebec? What is, what is some of the work that, uh, that Oasis Church is doing? Yes, so we, we've sort of noticed there are three kinds of people that we've been ministering to, yeah. um, sort of established people on the West Island of Montreal who are... Who are French-speaking, many of them are Quebecois, and they're the older generation, people like me who are starting to lose their hair. And uh, then there are um, newcomers. We, we are now uh, located in a low-cost housing uh, um, area of, of Montreal with a lot of first-time immigrants to Quebec, a lot of them from the Caribbean and French Africa. And finally, um, children and youth. And uh, so a lot of what we're doing is bringing these people together in unity. And, uh, and we, we believe that that unity of very different people with very different mindsets, but united in Jesus, is going to be a witness to the world, a divided world um, that mm. don't usually see these different groups together. Would there be a story that you could share? Um, we've talked about establishing God's kingdom, how God was doing that um, in Haggai's time. How is God establishing his kingdom? Maybe you could share a story for us um, from Oasis Church. Yes, I would love to. Um, so these newly arrived immigrants to Canada, for example, from Africa, I'd like to talk about just two families quickly, the Yao family and the Kofi family. They're both from Ivory Coast. They arrived, they, they were professionals in their country, at least the, the husbands were. They arrive here, they have nothing. Um, and so we help them establish themselves with furniture, food, helping things like helping them get their kids signed up for school and all this. Really, they are, in this case, Disciples of Jesus who have a lot to give, but they they're in a new environment that they uh, they don't know how to how to how to face, and they are also struggling to survive. And I think the message of Haggai is for them too. You are here a bit like Daniel in Babylon, a bit like Joseph in Egypt. You are here on mission for God. Don't get sidetracked with. I'm here only to survive. Uh, we, we're, a, we're a besieged, weak, weakened church in Quebec. For us, when we see you come, that's the cavalry that has just arrived. Mm. And we want to empower you. We want to help you not 
re-disciple you, but we want to help you learn how to be witnesses in a very secular society, teach you how to walk with your kids as they, as they learn to, uh, to, 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 to be in school in a very different type of society. And some of the, the, these families had joined our leadership team, at least the husbands did, the wives as well. Um, but interestingly, the workforce in Quebec is, is now growing thanks to immigrants. And the government wants them to move out into other cities. They all want to stay in Montreal because that's where their friends are. But, um, uh, but they're getting job offers Hmm. in other cities, and we're, we're losing these two families hmm. to other cities. Uh, and so that's sad for us, but we've prepared them to become leaders in some of our other churches, um, Quebec City in particular, where hmm. both those families are. Hmm. One is already there and one is moving there. So uh, we're, we're working at building the temple um, hmm. in that way right awesome. now, and in other ways as well. Oh, very good. Well, um, I'm going to invite Simon to come up once more here. And Mark, if you want to stay, we want to pray for you. Uh, Oasis Church is a partnership that we have and together that we are the church. And uh, if you want to hear more from Mark and Cheryl, they'll be here after. Uh, you can contact our church to get more information on the partnership that we have there as well. But uh, if you would pass the mic to Simon there, Mark, and if you want to come up front here, uh, Simon and I just want to place hands on you. We're going to pray for you as a church family together. Father, we are amazed at the way you embrace broken people like us the way you care about each and every single human being living under heaven. We thank you that you care so much about us that you can give us a home down in Montreal, a church community to belong to. Father, we want to thank you so much for the work you're doing through Oasis. We thank you for the leadership there. And as Cochrane Alliance Church community, we thank you for giving us opportunity to partner with Oasis. Father, we pray for your blessing upon the leadership at Oasis, the congregation at Oasis. I pray that your leading will be upon them all the way. Thank you for the blessing that they are to the community around them. You are the one who started this good work and we know you'll take it to completion. I pray that you provide where there is need for anything, be it financial, be it spiritual, be it in any way. Father, we know you are able. I pray a prayer of blessing upon everyone who belongs to the church and everyone who partner with them, that you lead the way for them Till the time when every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every people will gather before your throne and fall before your throne and proclaim you the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Father, we pray that you prepare us for that day as Cochrane Alliance Church, as Oasis, and as the church world over. 
We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.